podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. My name is Adam Burns. I'm one of your hosts for this episode and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing so far? It's been four days at the time of recording this since the end of the Formula One season. Are you getting withdrawal symptoms already? Yeah, um, it, it already feels like forever, um, but at least we've got Christmas to distract us and before you know it, it'll be pre-season. Uh, I hope everyone's doing well and I'm looking forward to doing another episode Adam. Yeah I mean I've noticed some sort of isms if you like or certain things that I've done um, following the end of the F1 season most notably when I open and close my blinds it reminds me of DRS or uh, Jesus. T- yeah t- turning <laughs> following people well not following obviously too close to social distancing when you're walking around try and get uh-huh. a toe off of them um, and my personal favorite when you turn the lights off before leaving your house saying it's lights out and away we go so uh, I've just realized something I just realized something. I think Boris has missed a really important point when it comes to social distancing oh, yeah. the most important one you need to stay out of DRS range to not catch COVID from people in indoor areas. See, this is it now, because you've got to stay within a second <laughs> of the guy in front uh, in order to get that DRS. And you obviously want to get that toe off of them. And that's important, aerodynamics. <laughs> but uh, obviously, you've got to remain social distancing. So, yeah, Boris, absolutely, mate. You've got to get on that podium next time I say, look. That's, that's, and, that's why, and that's why the infection rates have gone up. People DRS are, are standing, is disabled yeah. until yeah. further notice. <laughs> But, uh, hope... We're such nerds. We're so nerdy. <laughs> I don't think we've been nerdy enough on this podcast. That's something we need to introduce uh, a bit more with this Formula One-ism stuff. I think we're too serious. So um, Maybe. 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 But let us know, guys, obviously. But uh, anyway, obviously, the reason why we're doing this particular episode before Christmas, of course, is now that the 2020 season is done, it's time for us to basically give our own little review, the DNF1 review for the 2020 season and otherwise been a brilliant season with all of the obstacles that everyone has had to face, as we mentioned in the last episode, and of course, a commendable effort from everybody involved in allowing us to have a pretty successful season. And one of the more memorable ones with some of the circuits that we've been into. But of course, there have been some great moments and equally there have been some moments, particularly from some drivers and teams that have been less than incredible. And of course, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So first things first, Let's have a little brief mention of one Yuki Tsunoda, who AlphaTauri have now confirmed that Yuki Tsunoda will be joining the team from 2021. I mean, Courtney, it's pretty much been the worst kept secret in Formula One over the last six months or so since he had that first seat fitting after the Imola race and, of course, that private test. How do you feel about that news for Yuki Tsunoda? Do you feel that this is well-deserved for him? And uh, what impact do you feel that he will have in Formula One? Well, given how he got on in Formula Two, um, he, you know, he he got rookie of the season, um, so he's done he's done well there. He's obviously got good connections with Honda. He's gonna, from a marketing perspective, he's gonna be great for Formula One because the Japanese do love Formula One. So for them to have an idol, that'll be another great element to the sport going into next season. Um, he just he just needs to understand that Formula One is a very tough environment and uh, 
you'll be judged after a matter of races. So I have faith in him. But it is, when you're a rookie and it's such, an, it's such a judge, a judging environment, he doesn't have much ground for error. So I hope I hope he does well because, as I say, with the whole Japanese element coming into it, I think it'd be a great element. So I, I personally hope he does really well. Absolutely agree. Um, I probably can't really add much to that. I won a few races this season, did very, very well. Was arguably the informed driver towards the end of the season alongside the likes of Mick Schumacher and Callum Eilat. If there were more races, he might have been able to catch them. And uh, as you said, yeah, Rookie of the Year, very impressive. And of course, that Honda element cannot be understated, although it's fair to point out that He's not in Formula One next season purely because of that. He certainly has shown his mettle and got there on merit. So congratulations to Yuki. And I look forward to seeing him on the grid next season. Another driver born after the year 2000. So, uh, oh. yeah, I-, I think he will be the youngest driver on the grid next season, Yuki Sonoda. So uh, that will be interesting to keep an eye on and see how he gets on. But uh, yeah, so with that confirmed, that now leaves, technically speaking, two seats to confirm, one at Mercedes, although we expect Lewis Hamilton to have that all wrapped up by this year, if not in January at the latest. But the other seat at Red Bull. Now, rumours have been circulating this week that a possible announcement for that second Red Bull seat alongside Max Verstappen will be confirmed either this week or early next week. And some of the rumours have been flying around, say, well, suggesting that Sergio Perez may actually get the nod and get the call up with Alex Albon being demoted as reserve driver. If that is the case, Corny, I mean, what a fantastic piece of news. In terms of Sergio Perez, of course, we don't belittle Albon in this case. We thought it was important for Alex Albon to be in Formula One, and at least this way he will have an avenue back in for 2022, if it is indeed true. I mean, if this does happen, Corny, how would you feel about this? Uh, do you feel it would be well-deserved for Perez? Um, it'd be great news um, for the pair of us. I think we've been beating the proverbial Sergio Perez drum repeatedly for uh, mm. most of the season. Um, it'd, it'd be great for him. Um, I think I've, it's probably the best solution for Red Bull, you know, given that Sonoda's come along. It'd be really harsh to drop our one out altogether because the guy does have talent. He's just really struggled away. Gasly did. Um, it's, it's something they need to look into at Red Bull, but it's definitely it's definitely the best solution because with Perez being slightly old, he's 30, 31 now, I believe. Albon's mm. got a lot more years ahead of him and, you know, we've said it before, it's really difficult to get, get back into Formula 1 once you drop out. You really have to keep on the pace. So, if this is true, I hope it is. I think apart from Albon to an extent, everyone's a winner, winner here. And I'm sure many of the fans will be agreeing with it because Perez has been one of the best drivers this season, without a doubt. Absolutely, yeah. Couldn't agree more. And some standout performances from Sergio Perez, particularly in the latter half of this season, which has kind of left Red Bull, in my mind, with no decision to make. I I feel it's blatantly obvious that Sergio Perez should be given the opportunity. I feel like if you lose him now... Not only will it be a devastating loss to Formula One, but also to Red Bull as well in terms of who they can put alongside Max Verstappen. We don't feel that it would be an easy fit. Of course, there will be challenges that Perez will have to face with arguably the toughest teammate to race against in Formula One, even including Lewis Hamilton in that debate as well. But uh, we both feel that Perez is definitely the best option for them going forward. Absolutely. 
So uh, we'll have to wait and see. Of course, we're saying this now at recording. By the time that this episode's out, we may get an announcement. So, but that's we what will... usually happens. It does. It does. We usually just as it happens, and then I'm literally messaging Corny saying, "Shit, we really should have <laughs> waited another day." But uh, nevertheless, we will discuss that in more detail in the next episode. If, of course, we get that confirmation, indeed. So. Obviously, the basis of this episode, we're going to be doing a review of the 2020 season. Now, we're going to focus on a few things in particular. We're going to talk about who we felt were our team of the season in particular, uh, a memorable moment or our most memorable moment of the season, our race of the season. And of course, one or two drivers in particular, we felt were a bit of a disappointment. And then we will go through our top 10. So let's start first things first. Um, So we have our top 10s, Courtney. Obviously, we know roughly what they're going to be. Um, And Mm. the good thing is we don't agree on a lot of the actual positioning of this which is always encouraging I think uh, as you would know Courtney on this podcast you and I tend to agree on quite a lot of things surprisingly yeah. Um, which yeah it's only yeah. We, we only tend to disagree when uh when Mercedes and Ferrari are competing at the front that's when we usually uh have our disagreements yeah. and competitive it's been easy yeah. this season competitive rivalries always have their biases to them um what whichever way you look at it you're always going to defend which side that you're on more often than not but um yeah you know it's always good to see some contrasting opinions you know synergies are great but in this case it's always a good thing to have a debate um in particular I think two drivers that did not make our list that I think is worth talking about. Uh, Sebastian Vettel being one of them. And, you know, Sebastian Vettel's had his ups and downs in his Ferrari career. This season in particular, ever since that announcement was made that uh, Carlos Sainz would be getting the seat and Sebastian Vettel would have to look for a different uh, team in Formula One, the season has really been a difficult one for Seb. You know, he's had some races where he showcased the old brilliance in him, uh, most notably in Spain, but also uh, at the Turkish Grand Prix in particular, where he got that one and only podium of the season. But otherwise, Seb has really struggled to extract the performance out of a car, which isn't very good to start with. But even worse was that it was a car that very much did not complement Seb's driving style at all in comparison to his teammate. Yeah, I think the emergence of uh, Charles Leclerc what really was the uh, the undoing of Seb because it's funny we had the me and you had these um conversation long before the uh, podcast started when uh Charles joined and I remember we discussed will Ferrari design cars continue to suit Seb rather than suit Charles but it seems as time's gone by they've seen Charles as the the up and coming superstar rightly so I think he's going to be one of the best drivers of his generation. And they've started to definitely the design concepts definitely went towards Charles. And it, with 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 Seb, it was almost like the milk had gone stale for him. Mm. And it was time it was time for him to move on. And, and that's why going into his next season, Aston Martin, I'm not I'm I'm going to consider him a write off there. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I feel that that team, with, with the biggest of respects to Stroll. On paper, Seb should have that team covered. So he might be able to build a team around him again. And that's why he was so successful at Red Bull, because he was able to do that. He wasn't able to do that at Ferrari once Kimi left and Charles mm. took over. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, for years, Ferrari designed cars that 
did complement Sebastian Vettel's style in a weird way. It probably was owed a lot to the input that Kimi Raikkonen in particular put in as a teammate. But of course, following Kimi's departure, Ferrari never really were able to get on top of the car in terms of complementing both of their drivers. And even this year, they haven't really done so either. Even though you mentioned, Courtney, that they tried to design it perhaps with Charles as a preferable option in terms of who to design it around, they never really complemented his style either. He had to drive around the uh, shortcomings of the car and able to extract the performance he did. And he just did an incredible job at that, whereas Seb really struggled. And I think next year's car at Ferrari, a lot more focus is going to be on the rear of the car in terms of stability, which will, of course, improve the front end as well, which would probably suit Seb a bit better. But hopefully we'll see more of the old Seb Aston Martin. I certainly do hope that that is the case, but we'll have to wait and see how that goes next season. Uh, another driver in particular, I think, was a bit of a disappointment this season, Alex Albon. We all, we already mentioned Alex. Um, bear in mind, neither of these guys are in our top 10, just as a reminder. That's why we're mentioning him now. But, uh, you know, Alex is a really funny one because Alex really showcased his qualities and what he can offer the Red Bull team at the last possible moment in the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix with that fourth place finish. You know, it was a good performance, not a bad one in qualifying, although we did get out-qualified by Lando Norris in the McLaren. And... You know, he got ahead of him. The safety car came out. You know, he drove a fairly solid race and he was on the tail of Lewis Hamilton and Bottas and Mercedes as a rear gunner to his teammate. But I think it's probably right to say that you can't really judge a driver on one very, very strong performance. And this was probably the strongest performance he put in, even more stronger than the two podiums he'd got in Mugello and Bahrain, where in fairness, they were probably both more inherited then earned with the most utmost respect to Alex because he had put in performances in other races where equally was taken away from him. So, you know, it all balances out. But um, you can't really judge him on one great performance. It's this, I mean, if you tried to flip it and say Alex Albon was fantastic all season and then in Abu Dhabi he had the worst race imaginable, you wouldn't sack him for that one race. Mm-hmm unless he did something really stupid, obviously, but you wouldn't sack him off of one bad performance. And in the same way, you have to kind of treat him on the same uh, level when he puts in one fantastic performance or the performance that Red Bull expects of him. You can't say, oh, well, you showed us there that, you know, by that logic, we can ignore the other 16 races. You you can't do that. I mean, what what are your thoughts on Alex Albon this season, Courtney? Were you disappointed? with his performances. I mean, a lot of it isn't always down to just the driver, but by and large, the margin to Verstappen was proven to be too great. And the worst part was it didn't look like it was getting better as the season went on. If anything, the gap was getting wider. Yeah, I've already said it earlier in the um, in the episode. He just reminded me a lot of Gasly when he was at Red Bull. Uh, it's, uh, we, we all know how supremely talented Max is, but, you know... Red Bulls certainly seem to be the team that put the emphasis on the number one driver. And it's always been the case, you know, you look back when Seb was there. And it must be soul crushing. You know, that's that's why Daniel Ricciardo left. You know, he left he left a team that was challenging for podiums and wins and took a step down in order to make a name for himself. Because that's how it is. Like, as as good as Max is, it seems that number two seat seems to be a little bit of a soul crusher. Because mm. we've seen it happen with Gasly. We've seen it happen with Albon, and I hope it doesn't happen to Perez. I have our hopes for Perez, but it just, yeah, it just seems that Albon was Gasly Mark II, and hopefully a little bit of time away from that environment might do him a lot of good. 
Yeah, I think so too. I don't think we've seen the best of Alex Albon. I certainly don't believe we've seen the last of Alex Albon, if indeed Sergio Perez does get that seat at Red Bull for next season. And this experience will make Alex a better driver. Um, it's not been the easiest of experiences to sort of get into, but it's certainly an opportunity that was very much thrusted upon him after his impressive spell in the Toro Rosso. And as you mentioned, Pierre Gasly in the same boat, he's come back a much better driver. And whilst Gasly's future at Red Bull seems pretty much slim, if not impossible to imagine, he will be better set up to join the team in the future outside the Red Bull program. Whereas Alex Albon, I believe Red Bull will definitely be keeping an eye on him and hoping he might get that opportunity to drive for them again, if of course he doesn't get it next season. So um, yeah, let's move on to a few other key moments of the season. So Courtney, I'm going to press you for a few questions before I do our top 10. So who, who was your team of the season? Oh, easy for me, Mercedes. Absolutely fantastic. I don't know. I don't know where they keep on finding ways to break the ceiling. They, but they continue to like after after 2014, 2015. I thought, nah, no way. They can't. They can't keep on doing this. And then they got the challenge from Ferrari to 2017, 2018. But this season, they just found a way to absolutely obliterate the field, the way they did in 2014. Now, you have a look back on this season. They're probably beaten, even 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 that's debatable, of raw pace once, and that was at Abu Dhabi. You know, I only look at 2014 where they only lost races because they chipped over themselves or had reliability issues. That's probably the only season where I'd say Mercedes were stronger than this season. They've, I just think what they've done is absolutely incredible, and I couldn't think of any other team to give this title to. Yeah, I mean, it's very easy to kind of overlook the achievements of a team like Mercedes this season when they've been so dominant and probably not as emphatically dominant as they have been this season in all of that time. So it's very easy to understate those achievements. But I think I agree with you absolutely, Courtney, that Mercedes, I I wanted to give it to another team, perhaps like a McLaren, for example, who clinched third in the constructors. But it would be doing a disservice to Mercedes and all of the incredible work that they do. As you mentioned, reinventing limits, pushing that ceiling or breaking the ceiling, if you like. They are almost the Goku, if you like, of Formula One. They're just constantly smashing that ceiling. And if you are Dragon Ball Z van, I hope you get that reference. If you're not... Ferrari, Ferrari must be Vegeta. No, I think Ferrari is probably Yamcha at this point, but... Uh, oh, God. <laughs> kind of reminding everyone of their greatness, and it's like, you know... Back to George! Back to George! <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so let's, uh, let's uh, move on. Um, <laughs> the moment of the season, Courtney. I, I mean, we talked about the great team, but what was the moment of the season in your mind? What was your favourite moment? Oh, so I was going to go with Turkey, given the circumstances of the race and what happened, but I can't look any further than Monza, you know, chaotic and what a brilliant moment for a human moment for Pierre Gasly. For me, for me, that's everything. That race is everything that Formula One should be. And I, yeah, again, I couldn't think of any better moment than Pierre Gasly winning at Monza. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. And again, I do agree. I mean, I did say this uh, last week's episode, actually, I mentioned this, but um, yeah, for all the right reasons, a beautiful human moment. And we were talking about a guy that lost his seat at Red Bull after a very difficult period, which was meant to be the probably the best year of his life at the time. But in that time, he lost his Red Bull seat and at the same weekend also lost his best friend, Antoine Hubert, who 
arguably would have probably been Formula One by now, maybe next season if he was still around. So it would have been an incredibly difficult time for Pierre to sort of reinvent himself, come back from the brink of being out of Formula One, not necessarily just out of his seat at Red Bull with no way back, to come to a race like Monza with all the pressures and that he faced being put in that position, being chased down to only see him being able to finish and complete that victory. And it was an incredible moment. As I said, the only injustice of that moment was that he wasn't able to celebrate in front of the Tifosi, which would have absolutely welcomed him warmly, despite the fact that Ferrari had a pretty dismal weekend uh, with a double retirement. Anyway, it was an incredible uh, moment in sport. It's, it's one of those moments in sports where you remember f- for as long as you live, um, as a fan, no matter you know, we see other sports have moments like this, and it's a real human underdog moment that people can just everyone can just come together and just celebrate the victory. Um, it was absolutely incredible, a very touching moment, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was the, the moment that defined it all was when he when he was sat on the podium after everyone had left, and he just sat there reflecting, mm. reflecting on exactly what happened at that, and that's what being a professional sportsman is all about. You dream of moments like that. And that is that, that really captivated formula one. And it was, it was a great, it was a great advertisement for the sport overall. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And it's like Seb Vettel said after the Indian Grand Prix in 2013, after he won his fourth world championship is you have to embrace and enjoy those moments because you don't know when they're going to happen again. And obviously in Seb's case, he hasn't won a world championship since. So, you know, it's a weird poetic uh, feeling towards that but uh, yeah absolutely incredible moment um not just f1 but in sport in general um i'm gonna push you before we do our top 10 what was your mm-hmm. race of the season let's see if we can go free for free <laughs> uh race of the season i got to look at turkey yeah you know chaotic i that that race really did for me show the the who who's the best you know because those who do it whilst the race it wasn't only wet it, they, they were basically skating on grease for two to two hours flat, and it was just incredible. And you know, and for Lewis, Mercedes weren't the fastest; they really struggled in those conditions. And they just found they just found a way. Particularly Lewis just found a way to absolutely obliterate the field, somehow like turning those tires into the perfect compound. It was. It was just brilliant to watch, and he still the seventh world championship. And again, just the 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 emotional moment and everything. The, the race, the race was brilliant. But like, please, people, do tell us your moments because I'd like. I'd if I've forgotten any races, please highlight them because I'll be, I would. It'd be it'd be nice to be reminded because there's been so many great moments this season. Mm. It'd be so easy to go, yeah, Monza and, and took it. There've been so many great races. So if we have forgotten any, please bring them up and we can reminisce together. Yeah, absolutely, guys. I echo that exactly. And uh, yeah, I agree with you, Courtney, on the Turkish Grand Prix for all of the reasons you just mentioned already. I don't think there's much more. I think the Seb Vettel podium as well was also another nice moment for me personally, even though it came at the expense of Charles. But uh, yeah, it was absolutely incredible Grand Prix. And you're right, it did highlight how good Lewis Hamilton was. And particularly on a Sunday, you know, there are very, very few opportunities where you see someone out doing Lewis in those conditions. And it just highlights his incredible might and stature in the sport. But uh, yeah, guys, as Courtney mentioned, let us know uh, your team of the season, um, your favourite moment of the season, and also your favourite Grand Prix of the season. Put that in the comments section as well. And as Courtney mentioned, we can reminisce with those together in the future episodes coming up. So let's go to our top 10. 
the main reason for this episode of this podcast. And uh, Courtney, as I said already, you and I don't necessarily agree on this list in where all our places are. It'll be interesting to see if we have similar names on this list, but I'm going to push you for who you thought was 10th on your list. So without further ado, you have the floor. Okay, no pressure. Um, I'm going to go with number 10, Kimi Raikkonen. The man's in his 40s now, and he's still delivering very well, given the package that he has. They're probably down towards the one, probably the third worst team on the grid. And, and Kimi found a way to get some results that he had no right to achieve. And it just comes to show that uh, the the last fan of a, of a Formula One driver is certainly much longer than one of a football player, for example. But Kimi's not just... People sometimes forget that Kimi's not just a meme that, like, says funny things. He's supremely talented and... We haven't really seen. I've, I personally believe that Kimmy was at the best. The best raw talented Kimmy was probably his years at McLaren. Mm. But during this time at Alfa Romeo, maybe there isn't as much exposure. Just how he likes it. He doesn't like doing too much media work. He's in a comfort zone, and he's he's like the man in his forties, and he's and he's driving brilliantly. So that's why I had to put Kimmy in my top ten. Yeah, the only F1 driver that was born in the 1970s on the grid at this point in time definitely makes you feel old when you reminisce like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I personally didn't include Kimi Raikkonen on this top 10 list. I think he just missed out. Uh, There were a lot of good performances from Kimi. But um, as I said, the difficulties that came with that car, I just felt it was a very hard case compared to some of the drivers in the top 10. I mean, usually when I do these top 10s, I have a hard time particularly towards the latter end on which drivers miss out and which drivers scrape in. This year, I'll be honest with you, I don't think I had such a problem. I did have a problem as you go up the list in terms of some of the drivers and where they were, but in terms of finding the top 10, I didn't have that many difficulties. But Kimi, definitely one of the guys I thought was very, very close to making it, but not not for me. Um, Who's your number 10 there, mate? So 10th place for me, I went with Lando Norris. Um, Okay. Yeah, Lando, you know, a very solid second season in Formula One. I think it's fair to say, you know, the great podium in the uh, Austrian Grand Prix, very well deserved, of course, benefiting from that time penalty Lewis Hamilton picked up after that collision with Alex Albon. Uh, The Scenario 7 moment as well, the first of two that he had in the Styrian Grand Prix as well when he was hunting down Sergio Perez and passed him at the final corner. Um, Lando... And I mean this in the nicest way possible. I don't mean this as a criticism, but I think Lando has shown if you were to uh, put on a hierarchy all of the drivers, number one drivers in each team and number two drivers in each team, if you were to place one or the other, I think Lando has proven this season probably to be the best number two driver on the grid. And the reason why I say that is because I think Carlos Sainz is ahead of him at this point in time. You know, Lando's got immense potential, but I think we have to be realistic. I think even though his pace in qualifying has been brilliant, Carlos on the Sundays has proven to be better than Lando um, in terms of the all-round package at this point in time. But as I said, Lando has time to improve on that. So that's why I consider him to be the best number two in F1. Great quality pace. Beat Carlos this season again, 9-8. So you beat him by one once again. And that's certainly no me feat because Carlos is a great qualifier himself. A regular driver, um, you know, making that shock appearance towards the front end of the grid, got on the second row in Abu Dhabi, did a few similar performances this season. He's made a step forward in terms of his raw pace and tyre management. That's been a key thing for Lando, because I think last season where his qualifying pace was good, 
he did tend to struggle in managing the tyres. And obviously that transcended into his race pace, sort of faltering at the key moments, obviously when strategy was going to take uh, initiative in this case. I would say probably one of the criticisms for Lando this season is that he's been a bit too polite in his wheel-to-wheel battles. I feel, and particularly in the early stages of the race, I feel like Lando, if he's going to make that step forward, needs to be a bit more aggressive and get those shoulders out in the same way that Charles Leclerc was perhaps a bit too polite in his first season at Ferrari, at least in the earlier stages. Um, And then he started to be a bit more aggressive. You know, as I mentioned, Lando on the opening lap did tend to struggle a bit more than some of his rivals did. And that can obviously result in a more difficult race than you would like. Ideally, you want to be making up more places. I think it'll be very interesting to see how Lando stacks up with uh, against Daniel Ricciardo. Oh, next definitely, season. yeah. That's going to be a great battle to see. I'm really looking forward to that. But in Daniel, he's got a guy similar to Carlos who's shown great form, very reliable, very quick. Uh, probably a bit better than Carlos Sainz at this point in time in their respective careers. So that next step for Lando will have to be to try and get more uh, Sunday performances out of him in the same way that he has done in qualifying. But otherwise, been a very good season for Lando. So it was a hard list. I don't want to knock him because I'm putting him 10th. But when you see some of the other names on the list, I think you'll probably agree why I put Lando 10th in particular. Um, but Corny, let's... Uh, go to you for your ninth place driver for this season who did well, you have yeah, in mind? We, uh, yeah so if we stick with McLaren I did um, I did put Carlos Sainz in ninth um, yeah, yeah he did have a very solid season um, you don't want to knock the guy too much but I put him there partly because the whole story of Lando which will go later on in the list but also he did make a couple of errors particularly in Russia and that's why mm. I put him low down my list he would have been higher up and you know we've already said about not judging people over particular moments but that was the one moment for me that knocked him down just probably just by one place because it was even by his own account it was a stupid thing to do and when you're driving at a team like as big a Ferrari next season you can't be doing that but overall he did have a great season but given the drivers that are above him um, it's very close for me between him and Lando but I've put Lando above science because of the development of Lando. Um, yeah, so I just think with science, just one or two mistakes, put him low down in my list. Yeah, see, I had Carlos a little bit higher. Uh, I mean, obviously, I perhaps have a different account of it. And I don't know if this is the Ferrari in me coming out and how I saw Sainz this season, because I was very much very interested in how he did. But I thought he had a very good season. You mentioned the Russia moment. Um, That was such a funny moment, the way that he tried to uh, not shortcut, but try and go a bit faster through that uh, escape area that they had to go around. And he absolutely messed it up in the wall. And uh, as soon as I saw that, all I could hear in my head was, you know, that meme? where someone makes a mistake and it goes, it was at this moment where he knew he fucked yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. He definitely did. I'll have to try and do that just for the benefit of those of you that hadn't seen it, but it's so funny. But uh, but no, fair enough. Um, so I went with Valtteri Bottas in ninth place for this season. So a lot of people will hear that and probably think, oh, Bottas in your top 10, like he was terrible this yeah, season. Yeah, wasn't, it wasn't in mine. Oh, really? Oh, right. Yeah, it wasn't in mine. Fair enough. But uh, I don't think Valtteri had a bad season. It's so hard to measure Valtteri's performances when you've got the barometer of trying to compete with Lewis Hamilton, who now is statistically the greatest driver of all time uh, and as credible as Lewis has been. I mean, he was definitely struggling to match Lewis in terms of outright pace on a Sunday. I think that was the big 
issue. People tend to focus too much on qualifying, but 11 to 5, all right, it's a landslide in Lewis's favour, but that's not too bad, considering we're talking about the greatest qualifier of all time as well. You know, so I don't think Valtteri's season was too bad. He struggled with tyre management on a Sunday. I think that was his biggest weakness to Lewis. Uh, the, the race in Portimao, I think, is a great example where Valtteri looked good on a surface that was very difficult to drive on. The, you know, the cars were moving about. And in the early stages, Lewis was struggling. But then as the latter phases of the races were unfolding, Valtteri's tyre management, by contrast to Lewis's, was not very good. And Lewis took full advantage, took the lead, and obviously went on to win that race, breaking Schumacher's record in the process. It, it's not an easy comparison Valtteri has to face. I, I would say if you've got your top drivers in, let's say, uh, Hamilton, Verstappen, Leclerc, if we're just picking names out of our A-star drivers, Valtteri, in my mind, would be in that next echelon, if you like, the A or the B-plus drivers. And I think if you start Valtteri and say uh, a racing point, he might have been along the lines of as good as what Sergio Perez did this, this season or perhaps in that sort of ballpark. So that's something that he really does need to work on Bottas next season. It's going to be really hard. There have been some races where he was very good. Austria, Imola, Abu Dhabi. Uh, he, you know, the Sakir race did not help his reputation. Mm. I think it's fair so that's to say. Why, yeah. yeah, so that, that's why lifting out my top 10. I, I, I personally thought that, Okay, Lewis just won the championship. And uh, particularly after Lewis was out with COVID as well, I thought, right, this is going to be an opportunity for Bottas to kind of rebuild his reputation and go into next season with some kind of positive momentum. But he was flat, to say the least. And that's why he was outside of my top 10. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. I, I would say, like I said, the Sakir race, I think, definitely dented his reputation. It was, an, it was a lose-lose situation for Bottas. If he'd mm. have won that race comfortably, people would have said, well, you know, He's more experienced in that car. George Russell's still a raw talent. There's still stuff to work with. Um, you know, there was never going to be a benefit unless he absolutely trounced George. And the fact that he didn't, you you know, you could have watched that race and not known the context of what happened during the week, seen a different helmet and thought, oh, Lewis Hamilton's wearing a different coloured helmet this week. You know, and then you realise, oh, hold on, that's George Russell, like, you know, driving like that. So, yeah. yeah, that didn't help. The Turkish Grand Prix was also a bit of a nightmare for Valtteri but then I think in context he had a difficult race and had damage to the car and probably you know still disappointed over Lewis winning a world championship again at his expense it was difficult for him so a big battle for Bottas next season I think it's going to be critical but I put him ninth I gave him the benefit of the doubt and thought otherwise he didn't do too bad Um, it was just because he's compared to Lewis and in this case George in this one occasion it made it very difficult for him to look like he was doing amazingly well Uh, so let's move into Number eight on your list, mm-hmm. Courtney. Who did you have for number eight? So, yeah, I'll put uh, Lando just above signs. Um, oh, it's uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't put him, put him there purely on pace. I've put him there because of the development that he's had since last season. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, he had the, he had a lot more luck when it comes to reliability, but you know, as you've already said, Adam, he's he's tire management, his race, his race pace has improved so much. And, you know, towards the end of the season, like the qualifying in particular was, was definitely a lot better. Um, we've had these discussions in the past where I've kind of feared that Lando's exploits, shall we say outside of Formula One could affect his ability on the track. And this season, the step forward he's made has kind of quelled those fears Um I think it's looking good for Lando. Uh, next season, it's going to be very interesting to see how he gets on with Daniel, who's going to be a very strong teammate. 
but definitely, definitely made a big step forward this season. And I think he deserves a bit of credit for that. So that's why I put him above signs. Fair enough. Um, I went with George Russell in eighth mm-hmm. place. Now, George is a really hard person to put in this list in terms of where do you measure him or where do you stack him up? I mean, to be honest, I had a bit of difficulty with six, seven, eight on my list. I felt that I could have swapped them in different yeah. areas. And even now that I think about it now, I could make an argument to swap them around in different order. But uh, I went with George in eighth. It's been hard to jo- uh, judge George Russell um this season and also last season when he was competing in his rookie season he wasn't really competing with anyone else except for Robert Kibitza but um it's hard to judge Russell against Latifi he was constantly faster than him in qualifying as I said he was 16 and 0 against Latifi this season of course the one exception in the Sakir when he was qualifying against Valtteri Bottas and he's very much reveled as the team leader of this Williams team hence why they've kept him on for another season which is you know an understatement at best but, um, you know, the qualifying performances, as we mentioned, has been immense. He was a regular in Q2. I think in more than half the races this season, he qualified for Q2 in a Williams, which was arguably the slowest car on the grid at most tracks. And the performance in particular for Mercedes at the Secure Grand Prix was nothing short of incredible. As I said before, you'd be forgiven for thinking without context that you watched that race and saw, ah, Lewis Hamilton's wearing a different coloured helmet this weekend judging by the performance you would not have known without seeing the name or knowing the background of, the, of what happened in the week that George Russell was driving that car I mean George was sitting a bit higher in the car than Lewis was he had to wear them uh, smaller boots and probably preferred to make that work but you know it, it was an incredible performance from George and it allowed people that weren't already aware that we were of how good George Russell actually is and it was that sort of performance in particular he should have won that race I don't think there's any two ways about it he should have won that race it was very cruelly taken away from him by factors out of his control that happens in Formula One but I'm certainly no doubt in my mind that he'll get opportunities again you know as you mentioned tyre management we keep going back to this but it's such a critical factor in modern day Formula One that was something George struggled with last season and in a way probably struggled with towards uh, the early parts of this season and the opening laps, they have been an issue for George, but um, his race performance in the second half of the season, excluding the secure race, just for Williams alone, have been very, very good. And in a weird way, it's kind of nice. We don't have to factor in that mistake he made at the Imola Grand Prix in terms of not getting his first championship points because he should have done it then, but he's done it now, even though it won't mean much because it come in the Mercedes and that he probably would have rather have won. It's nice to know he's got that monkey off of his back, yeah. if you like. And uh, But yeah, I thought George did very well this season. Definitely top 10, and I put him in eighth in my list. So uh, let's move on to number seven. Let's well, start. that's perfect. That's perfect, Adam, because George was my seventh number seven choice. Oh, have I given um, you nothing um, to mention on this one? Have I already done it? <laughs> <You've>, <laughs> yeah, you kind of gone through it all, to be honest. But yeah, like... It's so it's so easy just to judge him on that one race for Mercedes. He said he should have won. Um, but the performances for Williams, particularly on a Saturday, like, come on, put in, put in that Williams. Now, Williams have made a step forward this season, but Williams are still so far behind. And to put that car in Q2 and the amount of times that he did, uh, oh, that guy has a big future in Formula 1, I have no doubts. Mm. Um, you know, if he had, if he had uh, more of a chance in the Mercedes and a better car, I have no doubts he'd have been higher up this list, but it's difficult to judge a driver that's in a car that's so uncompetitive. Um, but that's why, yeah, that's why George is, he had to make the top 10, but I think it would have been higher. Yeah, definitely would have been higher if he was in a better car. 
Well, the good news for Williams, as you mentioned, they've obviously made a move for uh, Joss Capito. Uh, I believe I pronounced that right. Yeah, Joss Capito, who, very successful guy. Obviously, the uh, former director at VW, uh, fit director of motorsport. He had successful spells in Sauber and McLaren as well. Definitely a guy that's going to be trying to get the most out of Williams going forward on this project with Doralton Capital. And obviously, Simon Roberts is going to stay on as team principal. So definitely good times ahead for Williams. And uh, Russell will definitely be at the forefront of that charge for them as well. Um, my seventh was, and this again, this was really hard because I sw- literally about five minutes before we come on, I swapped these two around. But I've gone for Pierre Gasly in P7. Now, Gasly, the highlight this season for me, winning in Monza, great character responding after the setbacks that he had that we've already mentioned, outperforming that Alpha Tauri on most occasions and completely obliterated Danny Kvyat as a teammate, perhaps with the exception towards the latter end of the season. Although Alpha Tauri did make some changes to their car to make it more rear focused, which benefited Kvyat to the detriment of Gasly. And, um, you know, he had some great performances this season, Gasly. As I said already, had difficult setbacks. He fell off it a bit in terms of pace towards the end of the season, as I mentioned already. But, um, you know, I think Gasly had a brilliant season. I don't think there's too much that I can say or, you know, I hope I don't undersell it. But it wasn't just the focus on the one race at Monza where he won that Grand Prix, found himself in that position and drove brilliantly to see at home under the immense pressure he was under. But it was the cherry on top of an otherwise brilliant season for Pierre after what he had last season. And, um, you know, he probably won't find himself in a Red Bull seat again, but it will definitely be a great advert for him to find a good seat in the team outside of Formula One. I'm still thinking perhaps Renault might be looking at him beyond Mm, 2022 if Ocon doesn't do well next season. And, uh, you know, Ocon, I, I didn't put him in my list. A uh, little cheeky spoiler there. I didn't put him in my top tennis. He was another driver that was close. But, you know, he got that podium in Abu Dhabi. But his better performances come towards the latter end of the season. I think he's definitely going to have to up his game against Fernando Alonso because his future could be in some level of doubt if Pierre Gasly has another similar season. So, you know, well done to him. So uh, that takes us now to our top six. So, Courtney... Who was number six in your illustrious list? There's a reason why I laugh when he said Gasly, because you've done it again. Ah. Gasly's my number six driver. Um, yeah, you've done it. You've gone through all the points. Um, you've left me with scraps, Adam. You've left me with scraps. But no, I think the main, the main story for Gasly, spot on about Monza, but the main story is the turnaround for last season. Let's, let's, just, think, let's just think of this as, as human beings from a, sh- from a sheer human perspective. Last season, you've you've been you've had an awful time at Red Bull. Your confidence has been knocked. You've lost one of your best friends, and for him to put in the level of performances it has this season, I'm so so happy for the guy. So happy, and I just hope he continues with this because you know, I I, I reckon Renault could be could be a future, and if and if they develop the way they are with Alpine, they could really build a special project. And I, mm. I hope Gasly gets a shot up being in a car that regularly challenges for races because what the guy's done in the last year is, is is brilliant. I'm sure other people enjoy me congratulating what he's done because I'm sure there have been stronger guys that have been knocked down and haven't recovered the way he has. So well done, Pierre. Um, I just hope that he gets a chance to be more competitive in the future. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, I think there's more that we can say on it. We've pretty much said a lot on Gasly as it is, but uh, next season will definitely be a big big season for him in terms of 
uh, advertising himself to other teams. I'm pretty certain Alpha Tauri probably won't keep him on next season. They probably won't be allowed to after next season. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, my number six, you've already mentioned him, Courtney. Uh, as I said, this was tough, six, seven, and eight. But I've given Carlos Sainz my number six spot. As you mentioned already, Carlos Sainz, you know, there were a few moments this season where made some mistakes. Uh, obviously, the Russian Grand Prix, the most notable of those. But I think overall, I think Carlos pretty much maximized the performances on Sunday in contrast to Saturday where, you know, he was slightly behind Lando on Saturday, as I mentioned already. Lando qualifying managed to do one better than him. And it was so, so close. This proved to be one of the closest inter-team battles all season, if not the closest. And, you know, Carlos was fantastic on the Sunday. He's a great performer on the opening lap. I think, you you know, you can cast your mind back to the race at Portimao where he had a great start, you know, got through the traffic and he managed to overtake both Mercedes and led the race temporarily. Um, and, and Carlos in particular, you know, other than that Russia blunder, he didn't really waste too many opportunities in the points. I mean, he probably could have got 25% more points this season than he did if it weren't for some reliability issues, most notably in Belgium when he was running very strong in that race and then he had that reliability issue that cost him some big points. Um he will be very disappointed to miss out on victory in Monza. It was a race that you could argue that he and Lance Stroll probably felt they should have won, which was eventually won by Pierre Gasly. Uh, in Carlos Sainz's case, he just ran out of time. If he'd have pushed a bit sooner or if he had enough few more laps, he might have caught Gasly and passed him. Uh, and he still says, you know, it's, it still hurts a little bit thinking about that, how close he was to his first win. But um, it will be very, very interesting to see uh, that what he can do at Ferrari. I think in a way, a lot of people underestimated Carlos. I certainly did at the start of the season when I learned that he was going to Ferrari. I wanted Ricardo. I still maintain, I think Ricardo would have been the better option, but Ferrari probably underestimated him as well. I think they were probably happy to get a good driver that would you know, do well, but play a good number two role to Charles Leclerc. But I feel that Ferrari are going to get a lot more than that in Carlos Sainz. He's a very well-rounded driver. He's quick. He's got that great blend of youth and experience like in the yeah. way that Verstappen does and I think that's going to be a very fiery lineup for uh, Ferrari next season so yeah I think Carlos Sainz fantastic this season and uh, yeah number six on my list so we're now getting into the business end Courtney uh, the number five. five so without further ado I think this is at the point where our list might start to merge Perhaps, yeah energy wise so let's see who have you got as number four oh, unless you wanted to make a quick point no, no, number five, I've got to say, so unlike the last couple of times, you've actually introduced my number five perfectly, and that is Carlos Sainz's future teammate, Charles Leclerc. Now, you'll see Adam's face when I say this, Ferrari have been absolutely awful. Mm. They've been, in, in terms of the size of the team, respectively, they've probably been the biggest underachievers, okay, it could have been so easy for Charles, particularly given his age, to throw his toys out of the pram and just have an average season. But some of the performances he's put in for, he had no right, no right whatsoever to, particularly on a Saturday, to get some of those positions that he got. And even during a race, yeah, you know, the, the car's been awful. But Charles could have got some really good finishing, uh, race finishes if it wasn't for tactical mistakes made by the pit crews at Ferrari. Mm. He got, he got some great results as it is, but it could have been even better if it wasn't for those errors. Yeah, and barring one or two sloppy errors that he's made, but most of the drivers have this season, I think he's had an exceptional season. And 
I'm a big believer in that the performances that you put in, in when the car is weaker really sets you up for really shows the driver that you are and, and the moment you get a good car it's going to put you in that position to have that confidence to go full attack and this has been the season for me that has given me the encouragement that Max Verstappen is going to have a true rival once Lewis Hamilton retires because I was genuinely worried that once Lewis goes it's just going to be going for one guy dominating from year on end to Max Verstappen doing it hmm. and Charles Leclerc in particular maybe perhaps George Russell have given me some hope that there is going to be a competitive future for Formula One. Yeah, I absolutely agree with a lot of that with Charles Leclerc. I actually put him a little bit higher on my list, so I won't get into him until I get there. But, um, you know, shock Ferrari fan puts him higher on the list. But no, it, it was a brilliant season for Leclerc, uh, all things considered. But we'll talk about him in a bit more in a moment. And uh, so I went with Daniel Ricciardo in fifth place. Um, I would say, despite the fact that he didn't win any races this season, and in a Renault that would have been some achievement... I think this has been Daniel Ricciardo's best season in Formula One. Definitely the best since he left the Red Bull right team now. in uh, 2000 and, uh, two thousand and yeah, two thousand eighteen. Since best since he's left them, um, you know the overall driving performances from Daniel has been exemplary. They've been fantastic. I mean, he's definitely elevated himself and raised his game to be the team leader at Renault, which is ironic given that he's leaving them for McLaren. His performances in qualifying they were always good bit of Red Bull I thought they were excellent this season you know a regular guy in the top five or six on the grid some brilliant results in the races including podiums at the Eiffel Grand Prix in particular and the Imola Grand Prix as well very much well deserved and these were the first podiums that Renault had achieved in almost a decade it wasn't until 2011 was the last time Renault had got a podium before that so he's really, really overdue. And Daniel was able to deliver that in quite abundance. You know, it will be very interesting, as I said already, to see how Daniel gets on at McLaren. You know, a new teammate in Lando Norris, probably one that might give him more to think about than Esteban Ocon did. Um, you know, Ocon was good towards the tail end of the season, but overall, Daniel really had that Renault team, you know, in his pocket behind him. And uh, I don't think there's much more that you can say from the Honey Badger. He's definitely one of the most uh, likable drivers on the grid. You know what you're going to get from Daniel. I wanted him at Ferrari at the time when the seat was available. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to do a fantastic job at McLaren. It'll be very interesting to see how that dynamic goes. But uh, if Lando thought Carlos Sainz was, was a tough teammate, he's going to get a very tough teammate in Daniel Ricciardo. So definitely looking forward to seeing McLaren make that next step forward. And I think Daniel is the guy to take them in that next chapter in their journey. So, uh, yeah, let's go to fourth. Courtney, who did you yep. have in P4? And I feel like I've already, I've done it again, haven't I? You've oh. done it again. You've done it again. <laughs> Adam Burns, you've done it again. Yeah, Danny of his. Um, He's doing it again. <laughs> He's done it again. But, yeah, fantastic, fantastic uh, season for Daniel um, I think one point I'm I'm gonna make, seeing as you've covered him pretty well yet again. Um, That's what. She, no, I, won't I do look. That. <laughs> I look at I look at Daniel and what he's done for Renault. The way that I look at what Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris have done for McLaren, very much one of the main reasons why you've seen a resurgence in a team that struggled in recent seasons. His performances have definitely put Renault back on the map. Definitely making teams, other teams keep an eye on them. Definitely a team to look out for in the future. He, he's definitely reinvigorated that team. 
these things don't happen by accident. And I'm really pleased that Daniel's had a chance to really prove himself. We mentioned it earlier on at Red Bull. They always have the golden boy at Red Bull and other drivers don't get a chance to prove themselves. Daniel knew that. That's why he left. And yeah, this season he's really had the, the opportunity to showcase and boy, has he done it. And he could build something really special at McLaren with Lando. I'm really excited about this. You know, everyone's saying, oh yeah, I'm really excited to see the jokes and all that. Yes, I am. But I'm more excited to see what they can do with this team. McLaren, I've, I've always considered, will always have a place in my heart for many reasons with, with Lewis being a British team, even with Ayrton Senna. And I really hope that with Daniel coming in, the Mercedes engine, got great people there like Zach Brown, new investment. The future is so exciting for McLaren and I think he can really spearhead them becoming a great top team again. Yeah, I agree. You know, it, it's hard that 2019 season for Ricardo because he sort of had to recover from yeah. the experiences at Red Bull with Max Verstappen as his teammate and quickly shifted in Max's favour since he signed that contract a while ago. And, uh, you know, it took a while to recover, but I think 2020 we saw the best of Daniel Ricciardo again and he really took it up to that next level. So it was brilliant to see and it's definitely to McLaren's gain, whereas Renault, even though they're getting Alonso, my feel damn, we are losing one hell of a driver in Daniel Ricciardo. So we'll have to wait and see how that transpires. Um, so my fourth place uh, was uh, Sergio Perez. Now, this was really hard because this was probably the hardest one, who I put fourth and who I put third. And I know, Courtney, I'm going to save you some. I'm not going <laughs> to blow out everything on Sergio Perez because I feel like I'm, I'm stealing the spotlight for all of the points you want to make. So it's like you're kind of... Yeah, anyway. Um, Perez... Uh, I think I've mentioned this to a few drivers, but I think more so than anyone else, Perez this season has been one of the most consistent and reliable point scorers in F1 in modern times, particularly this season. He's proved that in abundance this year. I mean, let's not forget Sergio Perez missed two races because of COVID-19 um, at Silverstone, the F1 70th anniversary Grand Prix. He was still comfortably best of the rest this season, fourth place. Now, I know a lot of people argue that well, the racing point was the third fastest car most of the season. And if not the second at certain races, Sergio Perez should be finishing in that sort of position in the championship. That's not a criticism. You know, if you're criticizing a guy for delivering what is expected of him in a car, you can't, you, you can't criticize someone for that. That's like saying, well, you can't praise Lewis Hamilton for winning a world championship because he had the best car. Well, so, well yeah. People do, though. People do. do. But I find it mad. Like, I don't know how you can do mad. that. Absolutely mad. It's, uh, but, uh, you know, I saw certain elements in Perez's driving this year that reminded me a lot of Alain Prost, you know, that methodical approach where you could set the car up well, you're balanced, you don't panic when you get in difficult situations and you have to make up ground. I mean, the Secure Grand Prix was a brilliant testament to Perez in terms of the improvements he's made in tyre management, the way that he carries himself more methodically, the hard work that he's put into his driving. And, you know, to go from that first lap incident with Charles Leclerc, where it really ruined Perez's race, for lack of a better way of putting it, he was able to put on new tyres. He got the benefit of the first a sort of safety car to help him out but he drove through the field incredibly well he passed literally everybody to the point where he found himself at the front and then took one of the most incredible victories i've seen in formula one from the back of the and field he deserved it as well absolutely it was no way inherited at all he earned that and after the week he had before where he was cruelly robbed of a podium 
I mean, this is a guy that's had to be faultless and I can't think of a better way of putting it than saying, well, he pretty much was, you know, comfortably best of the rest. People used to tag Perez as a poor qualifier and lazy. He upped his game on that big time, got some great qualifying performances. And on Sundays, Perez was as good as arguably anybody, if not better than almost everybody. So I think absolutely deserved. And uh, I certainly hope and of course, at the time of recording this, we may get confirmation of this in the next few days. But I certainly hope Perez will be on the grid next season. If for anything else, that performance in Sakir is the perfect advertisement as to why Sergio Perez should be on the grid next season. Yeah, and that's why, Adam, Sergio Perez is my number three driver for the uh, 2020 season. Um, yeah, said it at the beginning, we've been beating the Sergio Perez drum repeatedly for months and with good reason. Um, he's definitely upped his game. He's gone from being a driver that was in that stigma, shall we say, of only being there for the money that he brings. Because mm. I, 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 I did think that at one point a few years ago, um, particularly after a torrid time at um, McLaren. But during his time at Force India, who then became Racing Point, slowly but surely built his own name with Formula One, slowly surely built his reputation and this season he's just taken it to the next level yes the car is up to a degree but that's Formula 1 for you um, but you know he, he suffered from COVID after COVID he could have he come back and just put in average performances you know particularly if he's struggling from the effects of it but he didn't he plugged away got great results and even after he thought that his F1 career was finished he carried on putting putting in brilliant performances which probably as hopefully Saved himself um, a seat in Formula One, and I, I'm just I'm just really pleased for him. You know, we talk about, you know, we spoke about Gasly earlier on. I'm pleased for him that he's gone he's, again. He's gone from a position where he thought he's going to be without a seat, and he's earned this. He's hopefully earned this position to being Red Bull, and I just hope that the news is good in the coming days. Certainly hope so. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So uh, third place. So this is where it got difficult, as I said. This was the last difficult one I had. Uh, I went with Charles Leclerc. Um, I don't think it's a biased opinion from a Ferrari fan to put Charles Leclerc in the top three this season. And it was very close with him at Perez. You know, I was literally deciding one way or the other. Uh, as I said, about half an hour ago, I had Perez in my top three. But then I thought, you know what? For the reasons why I'm going to mention, I think Leclerc deserves to be in the top three. I mean, he's absolutely underlined his star quality. Uh, from the 2019 season and if anything he's been even more impressive this season even though he's not won any races I mean the first race of the season in Austria in a car that was clearly nowhere near the upper echelons of the grid and he was able to drag that to get a second place finish when all the chaos had ensued in front of him he drove so well and then you know other performances in particular that were brilliant in Silverstone as well he got the other podium his tyre management in that race was absolutely fantastic and this is something again I keep going back to tyre management but it's so critical in the modern era of Formula One you cannot undervalue how important it is to have a driver that can be fast but also manage their tyres some of the best drivers in the sport still struggle with that and that is such a critical factor in these days of Formula One where the tyres are not as durable as they used to be and you know this kind of hallmarked what was so good about Leclerc this season because he was driving a car, as you mentioned already, Courtney, that was absolutely terrible. I mean, there were some races where they were lucky to get into Q2, let alone Q3. And there's some yeah. races where that car should not have been in Q3. And yet Charles Leclerc not only did that, but he ended up putting it on the front two rows of the grid. I mean, if you could think of one qualifying lap 
of any driver this season that would be the highlight, that lap at Sakir from Charles Leclerc, where he got fourth on the grid. Um, for me, that would be the qualifying lap of the season. And on a ring road... I'd argue with that. Yeah, on a ring road like that as well, you know, that's even more impressive for Ferrari. It was so good. Charles himself got out of the car with five minutes left of the session, said to his team, like, lads, I'm not going to do a better lap than that. No one's going to do a better lap than that in that car. I'm going off and doing my uh, post-qualifying press after that. It was absolutely incredible from Charles. So, you know, I can't really argue much more than that. And he always seemed to deliver the absolute maximum out of that Ferrari. And it just bodes well for him in the future that Ferrari really do have a driver that can really challenge for the big, big titles again, their race wins on a weekly basis, if they can provide him with that car. The only criticism I can give for Charles Leclerc was some of the over-aggressive mistakes uh, in a few races. I mean, we mentioned the Styrian Grand Prix. You know, he'd had a great podium, and then the next race he goes up the inside of Sebastian Vettel in Turn 3 and not only takes himself out, but also his teammate. Um, Also in Russia, when he had that collision with Lance Stroll, when he was a bit too aggressive. And, of course, the incident at the uh, Sakir race where he almost took Perez out, took himself out and caused Max Verstappen to have that crash as well. It, it's those elements of Charles' driving that I think he really needs to make sure that he eradicates. But the one good thing about Charles, and Charles, I should say, is that I, I compared a lot of these incidents to how Max Verstappen used to have incidents in 2018. You know, But the difference between the two of them then and what Charles is doing now is Charles is very, very quick to own up to these mistakes. He very quickly acknowledges where he's made the error or that it was his fault. And he's done that every single time. And he's been very I have stupid. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's been, <laughs> been very critical of himself as well. You know, like you said in Baku when he made that mistake in qualifying when he should have won that race. And he's, as I said, he's been very quick to own up to these mistakes, take the blame and make sure he doesn't make the same mistakes twice. And I know it might seem to some people that he is still doing that. I would argue that he is eradicating those errors and that these are newer things that he's doing. And if he can fix that last little bit to his driving as an all round driver, he has got exactly what it takes to be Ferrari's next world champion. If it does happen, Ferrari will have to provide him with that car. But as you said, Courtney, I definitely feel this season has highlighted the fact that if there were any doubts over to his true potential, he definitely is in that A-star category with Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. And I sincerely hope, not just for Ferrari, but also for Formula One in general, that Charles Leclerc is given the tools to compete with Max Verstappen in the future generations. And if George Russell ends up Mercedes there as well, because I think Ferrari really do have an absolute gem on their hands. And uh, it is, again, a brilliant performance from Leclerc. So to the final two on our list, no prizes for guessing who these two are going to be. But Courtney, I'm going to come to you first, because I think these are the two we actually agreed on on this list. So Max Verstappen, um, very much the best of the rest, shall we say, because Mercedes were very much in a league of their own. Um, and whenever Mercedes had any kind of struggles, whether it be engine power or strategic struggles, whether Max was always there to pick up the pieces. You know, you look at Silverstone in particular, the second race, the 70th anniversary race, wasn't it called? Yes. Yeah. Where Mercedes struggled with the temperatures and Max, Max took the decision himself to say, you know what, this is going to be our only opportunity to beat the Mercedes. Let's do it. He showed he showed some leadership in the team, and the guy is obviously supremely talented. It's it's clear to see 
I think he's definitely going to be the next big thing in Formula One. And this season has probably given him the chance to show that. And he'll be open in the future, particularly even next year. It could be his first opportunity to win his first world, which could, which could be the first of many world championships. He's definitely put himself in a good position. Um, the only thing I would say with Max is still showing those moments of anger. Mm. It doesn't reflect well. You know, I look at that the, he's, um, he's clashed with Stroll and there's been a couple of incidents as well. And he's still showing those moments where he gets heated and he can't afford to be doing that if he's going to be, if he gets close to Lewis next year, he can't be doing that because Lewis, Lewis is much more experienced and he'll take advantage of that. But overall, he's, he's, he's been... Um, He's been great and he's he's setting himself up to be a future world champion nicely. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And uh, I had him as number two on my list as well. I, I think it was a no-brainer with Max Verstappen. I mean, other than one race in Turkey, when he when he comes sixth, where he probably should yeah. have could have won Stocky that race. race. Could have won, should have won, didn't. Um, you know, he was a bit too over-eager, I suppose is the right way of putting it, on that move on Sergio Perez, which didn't pan out. He lost downforce, lost grip, and he ended up spinning the car. As I said, that was a race that got away from him. Probably one of the only races of the season where he really had the car and the, the ability to win this race on merit. And perhaps that level of expectation coming out of nowhere might have forced him to try and make that move, whereas a calmer Lewis Hamilton was more methodical in his approach and ended up going on to win that race in an incredibly dominant fashion as it transpired. But um, looking at Max this season... The only real challenge to Mercedes, I think it's fair to say, this season. And in some ways, the only real challenge to Lewis Hamilton. With all respect to Valtteri Bottas, you could argue in a way that Max gave Lewis a bit more to think about than Valtteri did um, in some cases. On several occasions, he was close enough to be an annoyance to them um, or a threat to them to the point where they had to really consider the strategy. I mean, you mentioned the F-170 anniversary Grand Prix. That was my favourite piece of radio this season, other than Lando Norris singing about Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But um, yeah, you know, the way he said, look, this is as close as we're going to be to the Mercedes. I'm not going to follow them like some sort of grandma. I love that because Red Bull were telling him to back off to look after the tyres. And he said, no, we're going to get after these guys and put them under pressure, especially after the events that had transpired at the British Grand Prix the week before, where Valtteri had blown a tyre and fell off the podium and Lewis had to win the race on three tyres. You know, he put that pressure on them. And by the time Mercedes tried to react to it, it was already too late. Max was good enough, quick enough and more of a, a, a pestering them enough, I suppose, to get that win. And it really showcased the quality of him this season. Ultimately, that pace from the Red Bull proved to be a bit of a false dawn, as the season probably proved to be for them. I mean, we looked at preseason testing. I picked Max to be world champion this season. I was wrong, clearly. Um, but given the data that we saw in preseason testing, we assumed that the gap between the two was going to be rather minimal, or maybe a tenth or two at most. And we felt Max had the ability to make up the difference, at least in qualifying. So put himself in a position where he could win more races than he did. And um, Red Bull really have to try and find a way, if they can, to give Max what he needs to challenge Lewis and Mercedes over the course of a season. They won at Abu Dhabi, which was probably performance-wise, probably their strongest in terms of car performance all season, given the caveats Mercedes faced with their MGUH problems or MGUK problems, if you like, that uh, restricted their pace. Could that prove to be another false dawn for next season? I don't know. Red Bull in the past have always been very strong towards the end of the season, perhaps because they prioritise development over the course of the season rather than try and get a head start. 
that has happened again this year. Will it be a detriment to them? I don't know. Probably not so much as previous seasons because of the continuation of a lot of the regulations. They're probably going to be able to keep 60 or 70% of the car they already have. So they might be able to take advantage of that, whereas Mercedes obviously cut their development very, very short on the on the uh, 2020 car because it was so good. So we'll have to wait and see how that transpires. But um, as you mentioned, Courtney, yeah, the only criticism of Verstappen, I would argue... I wouldn't really focus too much on some of the stuff he was doing in practice because it wasn't really affecting him in the race. Uh, whilst I agree that is a legitimate concern, I feel Max just needs to, when he's in those opportunities, uh, and they will become more often than they have done this season to sort of take wins that you should be taking, he needs to make sure that he calculates those moves properly and make sure he doesn't try and go for too much too soon. Because as we saw against Perez, that ultimately cost him that race in Turkey. We'll never know what happened if Max had completed that move in the final corner rather than spin off. Um, so we're coming up to the final driver on our list. No prizes for guessing this one, but Courtney, I'm going to let you do the honours on this one because this is your yeah. guy. This is your team. So number one goes to soon to be Sir Lewis Hamilton. Um after so many years dominating, he's still finding a way to dominate Formula One in ways I didn't think was possible. He's beating record after record. Um, some would argue that this season's been a bit too easy for him, given the dominance of the car and Valtteri not being at his best. But he's just constantly finding ways to improve himself. You know, we spoke about Kimi earlier on being 14, still finding ways to be strong. But Lewis is finding ways to improve even when he looks at his personal life with his diet with the way that he trains he's always trying to find ways to be to be a better driver and he has no intention of giving up you'd think after all this he'd just you know he'd be happy that and move on well we'll be 36 in a couple of weeks so it's certainly exactly. no feet at all so that's what i mean he's finding ways like i i, I thought you know early, early 30s he might just you know he might start to tame off but he's continuing and he, he reddishes the challenge, and you know, even looking into next season, he will. If if Red Bull are close, he will reddish that challenge, and it will make him a stronger driver. We saw it when um when Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari were um were competing. That gave him the new lease of life. And uh, you know, we've we've spoken so much about Lewis. You know, that's why I'm kind of struggling to because we've we've said everything needs to be said. I think he's incredible. I think he gets too much criticism. Nobody's perfect, but I just think he gets attacked way too much for the dominance of the car. You know, he can only he can only use what he's got in front of him, and he's doing a supreme job of it. Let's not understate what Lewis Hamilton has achieved these past few seasons, and he has taken a step up this season without a doubt. Absolutely, it's been an excellent season from the world champion. Yep, number one on my list as well. I don't think you could look any further than Lewis Hamilton to be in the number one driver this season. Um, you know, it's eleven race wins as many pole positions as well. Obviously, he missed that race as Sakir. He might have won that race. Obviously, if the race panned out the way that it did, he probably wouldn't have done, given the issues that George Russell had faced in his car. But um, I suppose it's probably not wrong in me suggesting that he faced tougher battles off the circuit than he did on it and mm -hmm. probably spent more time and energy, if you like, facing those larger societal issues, and, and rightly so. You know, th there's been a lot of big things happening this year, um, you know, getting rid of racism in the sport, being a figurehead, if you like, for the Black Lives Matter campaign, at least in Formula One, some of the stuff that he stood for. You know, it, rightly so, Lewis should be focusing that 
as a big priority and uh, you know the challenges that have come from that I would argue have probably been more difficult to deal with than the current ones and it just shows a testament of how good a driver Lewis Hamilton is to be able to take all of that on and still be the role model the character the guy the driving force for change not just in Formula One, but in all, all walks of life as well. And the influence that he has had and the impact that he has had has been absolutely incredible and phenomenal. Stuff that I never thought I'd see in a sport. It's, it, the crazy thing is you, you're not aware to these things. I think when we were growing up at the time, it never really battered to any of us of how not, how undiverse, I think, is the lack, or lack of diversity existed in Formula One. And not necessarily... Very much an elitist sport. Yeah, it was. And not necessarily because, just just because there were people that wanted a certain type of person driving cars or in the sport, although those characters did exist and some cases do still today. But it's just because people weren't being made aware of it. And it's only until you see someone like Lewis Hamilton doing so well and stuff that he says and stuff that he drives for change, you start to realise actually there is a fundamental problem not just in Formula One, but in all walks of life that we do need to address. And it's so great that people can bring that to our attention and say, we do need to be better. And, uh, you know, so that's another big achievement for Lewis this season and something that he will continue to strive for because clearly his work is not done, but he's still been able to find that drive for Formula One as well. I mean, performances, I mean, th- th- back to the, the racing, of course, the two memorable performances from Lewis this season um, you know, the Turkish Grand Prix in the wet, absolutely incredible performance from him. The way that the conditions changed and Lewis was able to make the most of the strategy calls and drive the right strategy for himself and really take onus on that, which saw him dominate that race. And then, of course, qualifying in Austria, where, you know, it absolutely rained massively and he was 1.2 seconds faster than everybody else. That was incredible. Mental. It's mental. It was li- literally Monaco, Senate 1988 vibes. Right there it was absolutely incredible lap, and I know people would say, "Oh, why didn't you pick that as your number one lap this season?" Probably because of the shock factor and the fact that I wasn't as yeah. surprised that Lewis did that, whereas I was massively surprised that Charles Leclerc put a dog of a Ferrari in P4 in a in a, on a track that they were lucky to get into Q3, let alone do that. But um, you know, Lewis proving on those occasions that not only is he the best statistically the best driver of all time but certainly the best driver of his generation by far I don't even think there's a comparison I mean Vettel you could argue to some degree but not in the same league as Lewis and uh, he was able to equal Schumacher seven world championships uh, you know get close to the century of poles and also surpass the win record which is incredible stuff there aren't many records left that Lewis Hamilton doesn't already have and I'm pretty sure he'll get the century for both from race wins and pole positions. Um, I mean, watching Lewis this season, Courtney, I think it's probably fair to, if you agree with me or not, uh, I saw a merge of the strengths of Senna and the, and the methodical calculated approach of Prost merged into one driver in Lewis Hamilton, where he was blindingly quick, but he set the car up well. He managed the tyres fantastically, as I mentioned in Portimao in particular. And that's something Lewis has not always been brilliant at. He's really had to work hard at that. You'd almost be forgiven for thinking it all comes naturally to Lewis. But there were certain elements to his driving when he was younger, particularly the tyres that he really struggled with. But he's got that down to a T, probably one of the best tyre managers in Formula One today. And I can't really think of many moments where Lewis kind of messed up. He wasn't faultless. I mean, there were errors. uh, Austria, where he hit Albon, you know, and cost him that podium, made the mistake uh, passing the pit entry closed in Monza, which cost Monza, him a yeah. there. And also having a 
making a very strange decision on where to do a practice start at the Russian Grand Prix, which was incredibly dangerous. I must say it wasn't Lewis's brightest moment. But um, other than those in particular, I can't really think much to say other than how brilliant Lewis has been this year. I mean, I would go some way and argue that this is potentially, from an all-round perspective, Lewis's strongest year in Formula 1. 100%. 100%. And it's very Um, easy to confuse that by the fact that he's had such a strong car or the best car Formula 1 has ever seen in terms of pace. But you strip all that away and you look at the intricate details of Lewis's driving this year. And I can't think of many occasions or many seasons where Lewis has shown a stronger all-round game than he has this season. And that's probably explained why he's been so dominant. So the thing is, I'm glad that you mentioned about the the details of the race weekend that he's been improving on. Because, again, it's so easy to dismiss these things when you have the dominant car. You know, it's still things like, when you have the dominant car, it could be easy for Lewis. Like We saw a lot with um, Sebastian Vettel, Red Bull. We could slip away and it'd be like almost a minute clear. Mm. Lewis could probably do that based on raw pace, but he doesn't do that. And there's a reason for it because he's looking after, he's nursing the tyres. Not only is he nursing the tyres, he's thinking ahead, further ahead than the season. I'm going to look after the engine. I'm going to look after the gearbox. I'm going to look after all these components because they could come back to bite me if I don't look Mm. after the car properly. And there are things that he's learned. And yeah, he's definitely, definitely gone to a new level. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with what you said early on. Probably been the best season of his career. And I just think it's going to be, no matter how good you are, it's going to be very difficult to beat this guy if Mercedes have a decent enough car next season. Absolutely agree. And I'm pretty sure that they will do. It's going to be a, a mountain to climb for any driver, let alone the teammate that he's going to have next season. Valtteri Bottas will have something to do. But yeah, you're right to point that out. I mean, methodical is the word of the episode. I've used that quite a lot in this one to describe, particularly Lewis. Um, you know, I, I say that with Lewis Hamilton because, as you mentioned with Sebastian Vettel, when things haven't gone well for him, it's been always hard for him to recover. In Lewis's case, when he's so quick, he's leading from the front. But in races when he's not been leading from the front, particularly this season, as I said, Bottas beat him five times in qualifying. Lewis has always been able to find a way not to panic, manage the situation, and then you know execute that strategy perfectly to get himself in front there have been some cases where he's had the opportunity to do that with a safety car or something but then there have been other occasions where Lewis has been able to take stock of the situation and say okay we're not leading right now but this is the plan and then he executes that more often than not and that's the sort of skill that all the elite drivers need to have in Formula One history. I said Prost was a master at that sort of thing. And Lewis Hamilton is proven to do that as well. It's why he's consistently scored so many points in consecutive races. It's that, you know, that that's another record that he's probably going to beat at some point soon. So I, I can't say enough superlatives about Lewis Hamilton. Easily been the driver this season and definitely the man to beat next season. There's no doubt in my mind if he stays on at Mercedes, and it's a big if, if he does, I'd be very surprised if he didn't. Um, I would expect him to not only complete the century of poles and race wins, but also get that eighth world championship, which uh, clearly no one else has ever done. And uh, given the direction that Formula One is going, assuming we have the desired results, we may never see again. So let's embrace it while we can. Yeah, um, couldn't put it any better, Adam. Um, the the guy is just. I think he. I think he is a legend. I think it's 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 time for even the haters to except that the man is a sporting legend. Yeah. Um, and I just think he, he probably doesn't have many years left in Formula One. And instead of knocking it dot instead of knocking a guy, let's just appreciate that you're watching a legend at work 
and hopefully one day he gets the respect that he deserves from the general public. Absolutely agree. Well, that's our top 10 list, guys. Obviously, you know, we've been going on for a little over an hour now, but uh, let us know what you think, guys. Who is in your top 10 list? We're going to put it in the description below so you can see our top 10 list side by side and let us know who you think should be in that top 10 if you agree with our list or if there's any names that we missed out in particular but until then guys make sure to like the video subscribe to the youtube channel if you haven't already our target for next year is to try and get to a thousand subscribers and the only way we can do that is through your continued support so if you haven't subscribed already make sure you do and of course share this with anyone you know that might be interested and also follow us on social media handles as well so until then all that's left to say is thank you courtney for co-hosting this episode with me once again Uh, love doing it mike and thank you all for tuning in stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast see you soon Podcast Network.